It's Saturday, February the 22nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, a deal with the Taliban and the EU's next budget. First, the week in brief. America's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that agreement had been reached with the Taliban in Afghanistan to sign a peace deal by the end of the month. The deal is contingent on both sides maintaining a reduction of violence till the end of the week. Officials indicated that an eventual deal would result in a permanent ceasefire and a withdrawal of foreign troops. Yet an American negotiator warned that spoilers by other groups could upend the deal before it is to be signed on February 29th. Bernie Sanders, the left-leaning front-runner to become the Democratic candidate in the presidential election, was told by American intelligence that Russia is interfering somehow to benefit his primary campaign. Congress was warned last week that Russia is angling to get President Donald Trump re-elected. Mr Sanders immediately condemned the Russian meddling. Mr Trump raged against the report, calling them disinformation. Thailand's Constitutional Court ordered the dissolution of Future Forward, a newish opposition party that did surprisingly well in recent elections. Its espousal of military reform had begun to worry the political establishment. The party was found guilty of accepting an illegal loan from its founder, Tanaton Juangrung Ruangkit, a billionaire businessman. He has been banned from politics for a decade. South Sudan's president, Salva Kiir, appointed Riek Masha vice president after the two agreed to form a government of national unity. The country won independence from Sudan in 2011, but plunged into a bloody civil war two years later after Mr Kiir sacked his deputy, Mr Masha, who then formed a rebel faction. Several peace deals between the two have failed. Negotiations over the EU budget stalled. Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron and others had presented a compromise intended to plug the 75 billion euro, 81 billion dollar hole left by Brexit while bridging a gap between the frugal four, Austria, Denmark, the Netherlands and Sweden, who want expenditures capped at 1% of GDP and a more spendthrift block of 17. Neither was satisfied with 1.07%. Wells Fargo agreed to pay $3 billion to settle a final mixture of civil and criminal cases brought by America's Justice Department and Securities and Exchange Commission. It also admitted to a variety of fraudulent practices pursued over a 12-year period, most notoriously creating millions of accounts under false pretenses or customers' identities. Wells had already paid about $4 billion in fines. And COVID-19 will cause global air travel to contract in 2020 for the first time in 11 years, according to the latest forecast by the International Air Transport Association, an industry body. IATA expects passengers to fly 0.6% fewer kilometres this year. In December, it had forecast a 4.1% rise. Unsurprisingly, Asian carriers will be hit the hardest, with demand falling by 8.2%. And now, here's today's agenda. Unnatural gas, man-made methane emissions. When most people think of methane emissions, they think of farting cows. But blaming livestock for the second most abundant greenhouse gas is unfair. Humans may not be prodigiously flatulent, but they still produce copious methane by burning fossil fuels. Atmospheric methane has more than doubled since the Industrial Revolution. 
Until now, anthropogenic emissions of the gas have been indistinguishable from that which has seeped naturally from the Earth. But research published this week in Nature, a science journal, has determined how much of it is man-made. Scientists extracted pre-industrial air from Greenlandic ice cores and analysed its chemical composition. In the early 18th century, natural methane seepage was ten times lower than they had estimated. As seepage is probably unchanging, they concluded that modern fossil fuel emissions are 25 to 40 percent higher than previously thought. At least methane only lingers in the atmosphere for about nine years, meaning the damage can be quickly undone by curbing emissions. Unbowed, Jacqueline Dupre. She played the cello as if it were an extension of her own body. Jacqueline Dupre, one of Britain's greatest musicians, became world famous in the 1960s for her fierce yet sensitive performances of Edward Elgar's cello concerto. This week at the Royal Opera House in London, a ballet opened called The Cellist, inspired by her life and the cruel twist of fate that forced her to end her career. After being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at the age of 28, she wrote, My hands no longer worked. I simply couldn't feel the strings. The bow became a foreign object in her hands. The choreographer Kathy Marston has channeled Shakespeare, Lady Chatterley's lover and Jane Eyre into dance form and describes the piece as being about trying to find out who Dupre was on the inside and letting those qualities inspire movement. Abolitionist Literature, Uncle Tom's Cabin Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel provoked outrage when it was published in 1852. The searing account of slavery helped pave the way for abolition 13 years later. It is the focus of an exhibition opening next Friday at the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. On display are several early versions of the novel whose copyright went through at least four owners before expiring in 1893. To maximise sales, publishers tried to freshen it up, adding new illustrations and annotations to each version. It remained a bestseller for decades, only outsold by the Bible in the 19th century. But the book also spawned an industry of anti-Tom literature defending plantation life. One of the most egregious was Mary Henderson Eastman's Aunt Phyllis's Cabin, depicting the supposed kindness of whites and tranquility of cotton-picking life. Its first imprint is on display. More than anything, Uncle Tom showed the power of literature to both unite and divide. Weedy Greed, a satire whitewashes Philip Green. Michael Winterbottom's new film is inspired by the life and career of Sir Philip Green, although for legal reasons the spivvy British high street mogul has been named Sir Rich McCready. Having embarrassed himself in a parliamentary hearing, not unlike one attended by Sir Philip in 2016 where he testily gave evidence about the demise of his department store chain, Sir Rich hopes to patch up his reputation by throwing an ancient Rome-themed 60th birthday party on a Greek island with disastrous results. Meanwhile, flashbacks trace his rise and partial fall, while scenes in Sri Lanka show the near slavery of the women who sew the clothes he sells. It could be a stinging commentary on the excesses of billionaires and their ruthless pursuit of wealth. But Mr Winterbottom's farce is feeble and scattershot. Whatever the character had been named, it is unlikely that Sir Philip could be offended enough to sue. Clearing Boundaries, Women's Cricket 
The biggest recorded attendance for a women's sporting event is the 90,185 people who packed into the Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena in 1999 to watch America's football team play China. The organisers of Cricket's 2020 World Cup in Australia hope to top that at the tournament final, which will take place on International Women's Day on March 8th. Before then, ten teams must be whittled down to two. The hosts, led by big-hitting opening bat Alyssa Healy and dominant all-rounder Elise Perry, are the heavy favourites, despite being beaten by India in the opening match on Friday. Outside of those two teams, England are the other main contender. They won the 50-over World Cup in 2017 and have been drawn in the easier pool. For the Romantics, Thailand have qualified for their first international cricket tournament. There are plenty of reasons to get bums on seats. Finally, here's the quote of the day from George Washington, who was born on this day in 1732. It is better to offer no excuse than a bad one. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.